This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of our live event series. Haymarket Books is a radical, independent publisher dedicated to connecting social movements with the ideas they need in the struggle for a better world. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. By joining the book club, you get all new Haymarket titles delivered to your door and a 50% discount on the entire Haymarket website, all for one low price. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. If you really want to help us out, rate and review the podcast on Apple or whatever platform you're listening on. Good evening, peace, good people. Welcome to another superstar-packed event of Haymarket Poetry Presents. Tonight we have the illustrious honor of celebrating Maya Marshall's debut collection, All the Blood Involved in Love. If you haven't gotten your book by now, you're slipping. Go immediately. You will find in the chat all of the information for you to be able to purchase this incredible, incredible new book. We are joined by some of the most amazing stars in the stratosphere of literary and poetry arts, all of the beautiful things and all of the beautiful people. This includes Destiny O. Birdsong, Tarfia Faisula, Nicole Homer, Natasha Oladakun, and of course, again, our esteemed, esteemed bright light, Maya Marshall. A little bit about the book, if you don't know, and especially in this contemporary moment of bodily autonomy and all the ways that we need to be in collective solidarity to fight for our rights, especially putting up the voices of Black, Indigenous, and other folks of the Global South. This book is an urgent and evocative collection, features complex and compelling poems about the choices we make surrounding home, freedom, healing, partnership, and family. Again, in a moment of critical struggle for reproductive justice, Maya Marshall's haunting debut meditates on womanhood with and without motherhood. Traversing the familiar mythography with an unflinching seriousness, Marshall moves deftly between contemporary politics, the stakes of race and interracial partnership, and the monetary, mental, and fiscal cost of adopting or birthing a Black child. Again, you can get all the blood involved in love directly from Haymarket Books. And please enjoy this event. I'm going to go ahead and introduce, again, our incredible speakers, starting with Ms. Maya Marshall, who is a writer and editor, co-founder of Underbelly Mag. Com, the journal on the practical magic of poetic revision. As an educator, Marshall has taught at Northwestern University and Loyola University, Chicago. She has earned fellowships from McDowell, Vermont Studio Center, Callaloo, The Watering Hole, Community of Writers, and Kaveh Khanum. She is the author of Second Hand, which is a chapbook that I have two copies of um, from Dancing Girl Press that was released in 2016. And her writing appears in the Best New Poets 2019, Muzzle, Rhino, Potomac Review, Blackbird, and elsewhere. All the Blood Involved in Love is Marshall's debut poetry collection with us. We are so excited. The first, first, first poet that's going to kick us off, though, is Miss Destiny O. Birdsong, who is a poet, a novelist, 
and essayists whose work has appeared in the Paris Review Daily, African American Review, and Catapult, among many, 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 many other publications. Her debut poetry collection, Negotiations, which, huh, Fun fact, I also owned, was published in 2020 by Tin House Book and was long listed for the 2021 Penn Bulker Award. It's an incredible collection. I was so happy to be a part of the 2020 Poetry Cohort Negotiations. It's just such a delicious treat to have. Her debut novel, Nobody's Magic, was published in February of this year from Grand Central Publishing. Clearly, it's out here slaying all the genres, out here supporting and uplifting all the voices. And we're so excited to have you, Destiny. So please, without further ado, give some love in the chat. Give it up on the Twitter streets. Retweet, repost. Make sure people are in the room. Give it up again for Destiny Song. Thank you so much. Can y'all hear me? You can? Excellent, excellent. Okay, so I just want to reiterate, like, please get this book. It's so good. Um, and I'm so happy to be here to celebrate it with, with Maya and um, with all of the other readers. It's so good to see y'all. Some of y'all I haven't seen in person in like many, many years. So it's really lovely to just behold your faces. And I'm going to read a few poems from the collection in honor of this book. I'm going to start with one about the body. Um, and it's called Ode to My Body. After Lucille Clifton. You were born in the year of the rooster and the dismembered grandmother. Your mama's first Christmas alone, trying to guess how much sugar to put in the pies and how much can kill. You were bundled into the house with the two uncles sharing one of the bedrooms and zero baths a summer cabin in another life. I have treated you like anything I never earned. Every light blazing, fridge wide open, cooling the whole neighborhood, doors unlocked. I don't know how you survived the years without sunscreen or health insurance. Crabs from the first time I dropped as nameless as apple seeds into the toilet. The Everclear, the laxatives, the black and milds, you should have happened to a more careful woman, never known anxiety or shame. The 13-hour drive through Arkansas, panic as silent as the sleet stickying the windshield. The lectures I taught with a gallon of prep scouring your insides, the distance to the bathroom tucked behind one ear, my pride intent on beating your best time. If you could speak in languages other than mucus and loose stools, I would apologize for this and some other things just to hear you answer in a voice not unlike my own. Remind us what we are to each other. Echo, Narcissus, both drunk on their own guile, both murderous in their insistence of love. You should know I never looked at you and blamed your mother. Though it is true, I have wished you smaller, with more symmetry, like the stone of a fruit nestled in the slick flesh of the world. In so many ways, I have tried to discard you. Or I've cut you in two with water fasts, nicotine, stretched you to feed the men what they wanted or the women what they could love. And when you failed, and I have called you failure, whom could I blame? 
What wonder is it that your newest threat is your own patrol of cells, a house as divided as the country intent on stealing your coverage? It's all right that this is the most epic thing about you. And all right that like your ancestors, you might leave with fewer parts than those with which you came. I would promise you good years between now and then, but who would I be fooling? Even now, I'm slipping you milk and slabs of bread smeared with butter. Like all your lovers, I know how much you can take. And I have come to love not you, but your refusal to be consumed. I push you up pill bottles and downstairs. And every morning, you wrap a thin new layer of membrane around the sack that holds my heart. You dispatch a brigade of cells with their sealed warrants to a host of organs. I hope I never see. And to continue with the trend, I'm going to read a poem called Failed Avoidance of the Body in a Poem. Your therapist wants to know where in your body you most feel your anxiety. You tell her it's in the bones behind your face. They have their own music, like Ptolemy's universe, and they chirp like shuriken dancing in the road. Your therapist says you hurt because there are things you've never been taught to do. How to hold yourself in sleep, how to drive, how to live with men. Back when you were five, or maybe four, your father knelt before you for the last time, close enough that you could smell him, a zephyr of cool filter kings and leaving. He pushed the tricycle toward you, purple and white streamers as limp as hair on the handlebars. By the time you mounted that cranium-shaped seat, he was gone. Your new goal is to learn to breathe through bones, to make flutes of them. Although, in reality, you are much more supple, a crooked fold of flesh that comes so quickly when called. You are the warm-bellied animal on the shoulder, coated in sunscreen in your father's curiosity, his white-haired possum with green, green eyes. You're now the oldest you may ever be. You have never before been this afraid. There are no bodies bound to rush into the room when yours becomes a bullet ringing the tiles. You know all about love's austere and lonely offices, don't you? Checking your stools for blood, checking your breasts for lumps, checking your neck for swelling nodes, checking the locks, the coffee pot, and all the cracked eyes linking wrath on the kitchen stove. Your own weep against a pillowcase you haven't washed, stiff, with the miasma of your hair. You stare at pictures of the girlfriend grinning in sunlight. You feel bad for not being taken with yourself more, but your body is all asymptotes and fractals. Your own skin splinters in the dark from its dense heat. The pieces come back together under a halo of prescriptions steeping your head in yellow light. Sometimes, while combing your hair, a sliver of cartilage lodges in your finger pad. You swallow the glittering blood and spit out the shard. Compared to your father, this is not unkind. Somewhere between your skull and the skin that swaddles it, 
all the songs you didn't know you needed to learn from him crescendo and fade to the rhythm of your breathing. And I want to end with a little joy. So I'm going to end with the poem. And though the odds say improbable, shout out to Stevie. The black ladies in their printed dresses float into the deli, tip-tipping across the coat of grease on the floor. It's still warm in October, so they remove their sunglasses, rub their oiled shoulders, remark, oh, it's so cold in here. One of them watches purses while others shimmy to the salad bar. Some are nurses here for conferences, some on lunch breaks from government jobs downtown, some are flakes, unemployed, Divas, deans, retired, do hair, edges slick, wand curls crisp in the freon air. They pinch the fainted lettuce onto plates. They scoop the pitted olives, cherries, dates into bowls. The cotton blended florals, plaids, prisms, paisleys, polkas flutter on calves until they reach their seats. They kiss mustard, avocado, banana pudding, well, really just custard with mashed up banana, from free ringed fingers. One sways to the soft serve machine and lingers a little too long, but returns with a smile. A swirl cone done up soda counter style. Every one of them been through something, sit-ins, bombings, blessing, the crack epidemic, Reaganomics, backdoor abortions, miscarriages, picket signs in front of the free clinic. And now the white girl with the blunt bob snatching plates too early. They tap her wrist, give each other the look, say, it's all right, miss, don't worry about us. My heart liked to stop when the black ladies nodded their heads and hoops, clip-ons, drop pearls, chandeliers, gold nickel earrings twirled above beautiful elbows. Not a care in this old world. Republic been crumbled. Black Wall Street crashed about a century ago. They leave together. Their laughter is brash and openly secretive. You bet not ask. Perfume wafts. They say, all right, girl, I'll be seeing you. One of them coughs, and I pray it's just the cold air, the pollen, the pepper, a little piece of meat stuck in her throat. Listen, the Black ladies better have a blessed day, month, year, life, and I mean it the opposite way they mean it whenever they have to say it to co-workers, husbands, customers, the demon boy. Ooh, child, I meant deacon. As I leave, I touch the table where they sat. They ain't superhuman. They ain't always able to save the children, the men, the country, or even your silk presses, but whatever they touch, somebody's good God blesses. Thank you so much. Congratulations again, Maya. Y'all, give it up one more time for Destiny O. Birdsong with those incredible poems of resilience, of joy, of just incredible beauty and music. Yes, yes, yes. That last poem, though, I'm like, spilling the tea. I already know what it is, spilling the tea. Thank you so much, Destiny. I love, love, loved those poems. So next up, we have the illustrious Tarfia Faizula, who was born in Brooklyn, New York, was raised in Texas. She is the author of Registers of Illuminated Villages that was released on Grey Wolf Press in 2018. If you don't have it, get it. I'm not going to say shame on you, but I'm going to say you need to get your life together. In addition to um, her first collection, Seam, which was published on Southern Illinois University Press in 2014, she currently lives in Dallas, Texas, 
this bio is incredibly humble, but one thing I'm also say the shoe game is tight. The lip the lipstick game is always tight. The good music venue game is always tight. The heart is always tight. The camaraderie and friendship and support always top tier. Tarfia literally be out here quietly behind the scenes, saving our lives with laughter and joy um, and silly things and all of the good, brilliant, whole humanness that we crave and need. So, so excited to have you in the space. Thank you again for being here. And without further ado, I can't wait to hear your work, boo. Thank you so much, Erica. I love y'all. Uh, happy book day, Maya. I'm so happy for you. Big Mubarak's to you. Um, such a joy and honor to be here with y'all. Um, so I'm going to read from a sonnet sequence I wrote that is they're addressed to different astrology signs. I thought that would be fun to do on the solstice. Uh, and if I have time, I might slide one last sonnet in there that is an ode to Whataburger, but we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Okay. Dear Taurus, and I did a thing where the, um, since it's a, it's a six poem sequence, I uh, paired, uh, paired the signs together. Dear Taurus and Cancer, do you tend towards or against mixing business with pleasure? Feel free to take time with your response. Maybe even take a stroll in camo stilettos towards words like trench, lamb, touchy, twerk. Be careful with your shell and horns. Be firm, but not unyielding. Order those oysters. Scoop out briny bits with the etymology of a tiny fork. Go ahead, velour the day avec perfume. Swipe right on weirdos, forget false mirrors, forgive cheap and flimsy seers, ignore moonlight. Any home is lit if there's electricity. Why else are you here but to love terror out loud and gently? Dear Capricorn and or Virgo, Sadness, friend, is not so fragile. Mistakes leave us breathless for glamour. Fuck death, wrote your favorite white girl poet. She was dead by the time you read that. That's funny, isn't it? Oh, stop. We mustn't pretend ghosts don't guffaw. She was badass, though. Took you closer. To what? The self? A joke itself, after all. Back to sadness, though. Its sturdiness is lavish, like the mink coat worn in a life you might correctly guess resembles your own, exquisite and tough. We do, after all, remain eager to dress up our pit-stained minds. Sadness appears daily, the regular, friendly server you know, the one who never forgets your disorder. Dear Scorpio and or Leo, assume almost all love deafens reason. What then? Cast still powers market value, no? Cynics dream too. What is willed? Well, assume love concerns treason. Does one succumb, seduce, sachet, or subdue? Does one forget or conflagrate foreign fancies? Is it stranger to be human or owl? Eyes that see may deny. That which may not happen controls our minds. 
Does one tell the truth or insert provocative and precise image here? Is tumult a fancy word for the tornadoes we make of faith? Who loves harder, money, beauty, or fame? Dear Libra and or Pisces, why do you fret so for beauty? So what, you're not pretty. Come here, ugly. Let's sell shadows dirt cheap to expensive threats such they can't hurt you again. Did that help? Why do you conflate beauty with a timestamp your fears make glower? Who said something like, beauty is an eye beheld? Standards aren't the rule, i.e., but you are drawn to their irresistibility. After all, you love the chaos of taking all your selfies at home. Trust yourself. Soon you'll glow towards rooms you'll own with a series of key dance steps. Don't frown, petty little pawnster. Today never doesn't become tomorrow. Of course, I had to read the Aquarius poem, which is up next for Maya. Uh, but also this is Aquarius and or Aries. Everything is boring. Booze, the news, baddies in the nude, grand pianos, the grind, grunt, grind of a stranger's false teeth giving way in sleep. Your own sad, 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 too bad, weep, weep. Who has the trees for this ennui? Another tangent, the delicateness of sequoias, another discount carton of secrets, all the emojis you've never used, another transmission, a persimmon, and let's admit it. Please, let's be real. Or aren't you bored of the various aches and afflictions one must tolerate just to sleep or swim or slurp or sigh beside another? Only to discover some worn wide morning, you're not done being special, sassy, and surreal. And I think I'm going to stop there. Thank you all so much. Y'all, please give it up for those incredible poems by Tarfia Faizula. Thank you so much for contributing all the the lovely tea and shade, um, but also love notes for the zodiac signs. I don't know why the Pisces are obsessed with beauty, honey. I don't know. We're trying to get it together. Um, we're working on it. But please give it up in the chat. Please make sure that you're sharing this event, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Instagram. Um, if you're still on Facebook, go ahead and share it there as well. Um, and again, please give it up for Tarfia Vaisula. Our next reader is going to be the incredible Nicole Homer, who is an associate professor of English at a community college in central New Jersey. They are a poet, writer, and performer whose work can be found in the American Academy of Poets Poem a Day, Muzzle, The Offing, Rattle, The Collegist, and elsewhere. A fellow also of the Watering Hole, Callaloo and Bona, Nicole serves as a contributing editor at Black Nerd Problems. If you have not been into Black Nerd Problems yet, I don't really know what you're doing with your entire life. Get it together. Definitely go visit. Where they write pop culture critiques through a POC lens. Their award-winning collection, Packing Order from Right Bloody Press, shout out to Right Bloody, is an unflinching look at how race and gender politics play out in the domestic sphere. I've had the pleasure of being in a couple of Pink Door workshops with Nicole and over the years have just learned such a great deal from not only their writing, but their stewardship and the way they show up in community. And so I'm just so, so delighted you can be here. I can't wait to hear your work and I will pitch it off to you, Nicole. 
Thank you. I'm so excited to be here to celebrate Maya and Maya's book. Um, and so excited to buy like 17 copies for everyone I know. Um, everybody's getting that for a gift this year. Um, so this poem is called Underbelly. Um, and the poems I'm going to read tonight are kind of about uh, joyfulness despite. Would be love. Do not think of me as a wet stone until you hear the whole story. In it, I'm not the hero, but I'm not the villain either. So let's say in the story, I was human and made of human things, fear and hands, underbelly and blade. Let me say it plain. I love someone and I failed at it. Let me say it another way. I like to call myself wound, but I will answer to knife. Sometimes I think you and I have the same name, not quite love. I want to be soft, to say, here is my underbelly, and I want you to hold the knife by the handle. I don't know what I mean by that. Plunge or mercy, I deserve both. I want to hold and be held. Let me say it again, possible love. I'm not sure you should. The truth is, if you don't, I won't die of want or lonely, just time. And not now, not even soon. And that's how every story ends eventually anyway. Here's how one might start. Before, the truth, I'm not a liar, but I close my eyes a lot, could be love. Before, I let a blade slide itself sharp against me. Look at where I once bloomed red and pulsing a keloid history. I have not forgotten the knife or that I loved it or what it was like before. My unscarred body visits me in dreams and photographs. Maybe love, I barely recognize it without the armor of its scars. I'm trying to tell the truth. The dreams are how I haunt myself. Maybe I'm not telling the whole story. I loved someone and now I don't. I can't promise to leave you unscarred. The truth, I am a map of every blade I ever held. This is not a dream. Look at me now, all grit and density. What would be love do you know of knives? Do you think you are a soft thing? I don't. Maybe the truth is both blade and guard. My truth is blade, my hands on the blade, my hands, the blade, my hands carving and recarving every overzealous, fibrous memory. The truth is I want to hold your hands because they are like mine, holding a knife by the blade and sharpening it. In your dreams, how much invitation to pierce is your body? Perhaps, love, the truth is a knife can also sharpen a knife. The truth is, I'm afraid we are both knives, both stones, both scarred, or we will be. The only important part of the story is this. I have made fire before, stone against stone. Might be love, I have sharpened a knife before, blade against blade. I have hurt and hungered before, flesh against flesh. I cannot make you a dull promise. This is um, called Prayer, and it starts with a line from, with, uh, from Aracelis Girme. And that line is, here is your first question to the gods. What now? Now that the babies are born and the car is paid off, now that all the dishes match a respectable but modest bone white set from Bed Bath and Beyond, what now, God of 20% off? Now that you have made meatloaf and something decent of yourself, what now, God of aprons and universities? Now that you lost the weight, got the blood pressure down, avoided heart disease, for now, 
What now, God of multivitamins and WebMD? Now that your daughter named you Workasaurus on her list of imaginary dinosaurs. Now that your daughter named you absent in the family portrait she grew. What now, God of stick figures and omissions? What now, God of daughters? Now that you can maintain a somewhat manicured yard and keep a job long enough to make yourself difficult to fire. Now that no one debates you when you call yourself a grown-ass woman. Now that your mama calls you on the phone to ask your opinion. What now, God of vows and eventual divorces? Now that you get your nails done every two weeks and pay your bills two days early. Now that your credit score will let you finance the middle-class dreams you have never had. Now that what I want is less, is fewer, is an uncluttered floor. What now, God of bloody cuticles? What now, God of a thousand disappointments? What now, God of bad choices? What now, God of the only tools I had? What now, God, of the only thing I knew how to build? Now that I'm in therapy, in yoga, in the gym at 6 a.m. Monday through Friday, what now, God, of alarm clocks and sunrises? Now that I sleep alone, now that I sneak into my daughter's room at night to whisper in her ear, choice, choice, choice. What now, God, of dead or ailing parents? Now that the kids are too young to understand and old enough to be, okay, I guess. What now, God, of okay, I guess, of maybe, of no right answers? Now that the curtains are in a pile on the floor and the wizard is just a woman with cellulite and a C-section scar and a degree and the machine's cogs are showing. What now, God, of my one good enough body and my only life? Now that I'm here, what now, God, of here? God of now, God of this line of questions, questioning now that I've named all my gods and seen how small they are. Now what? Um, and this last poem I'm going to read is my, my only pandemic poem. Um, and it starts with a line from Ada Limon. Uh, and that line is, I'm asking you to touch me. The old people who are probably now the dead people watch Della Reese untouched by an angel because we all want an idea of what's coming next. I knew her from pussy so good, if you threw it up in the air, it would turn into sunshine. Free advice? That's the kind of pussy you don't want to touch with a 10-foot pole. Or maybe you do. It's been a long year, a long quarantine, a long time since I fell asleep fast. Everything has been so touch and go by everything, I mean survival. So if Della could put you in touch with someone who sparks your joy hourly, then be alive. Then say amen. What I mean by my bad advice is I'd be a soft touch. I was warning you, but I'm touching my own nerve here. A year inside is long enough to lose touch with everyone who doesn't live in my house. For a year, the only people I've touched are my children. Don't worry, I talk to other adults. I touch bases with their teachers and their friends' parents. We make play dates outside in parks. We forego touch football and tag for hikes and sanitized swings. Lately, I feel like what my mama would call touched. I'm okay. I'm okay. She'd say it, touched, as she avoided eye contact, touching up her makeup in the mirror. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'd say if she were here. If she were here, she'd say my dirty mirror and cluttered counter make it look like no woman lives here. And she's right. This year, my house needed a woman's touch, a flower in a vase, a new painting on the walls. The kids draw me pictures. No more fantastic made-up animals. I'm in all the drawings. See, even quarantine has a silver lining. I'm touched that they notice I'm here now for family game night and family movie night and family walks. 
I was a touch sad last year when the world was touching public surfaces all willy-nilly and the public surface I touched the most was my job at my desk. And now my job is my desk in my bedroom and the kids burst in and say, he hit me, say, I barely touched him, say, here, I drew this for you. I sit muted in meetings until it's my turn. Then I say, I wanted to touch on this other boring subject. Is it normal for a healthy body to always be so sore to the touch? A body shouldn't stare for this long. If I drank, I would drink, but I don't touch the stuff. Instead, I watch Netflix and order things, just a touch of a button, a touch on a touch screen, and too tired to even touch myself, I fall asleep. Slow. Pretend that Miss Reese won't let nobody touch even a hair on my head. Though, I wouldn't mind a touch of sunshine on my face from time to time. Thank you again. So excited, Maya. <laughs> Y'all, please give it up for those poems by Nicole Homer in the chat um, on YouTube. People are like, that what now God is fire. Tarfia is getting proposals and the requests. Mm, but don't be weird. Do it with love. Um, it's just all kinds of adoration and all kinds of, you know, mutual respect and love and just all of this work because this work deserves to have this kind of reverence. Again, just so incredibly, incredibly honored that all of you are gathered here to celebrate Maya's incredible, incredible debut. Again, you see in the chat. You'll notice the link to Haymarket Books where you can go and purchase it if you have not pre-ordered it. I see some of y'all have because you're smart. And so everybody else in the world just has to catch up. We appreciate that. Our next amazing poet on deck is the amazing Natasha Oladakun, who is a poet and essayist who holds fellowships from Cave Canem, the Virginia Center for Creative Arts, the Jackson Center for Creative Writing, 12 Literary Arts, and the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where she was the inaugural First Wave Poetry Fellow. All of us who have um, come up or have taught or have reared or have reared one another in slam, shout out to First Wave. Her work has appeared in the American Poetry Review, the Academy of American Poets, Harvard Review Online, and Kenyon Review Online. You can read her call the Petticoat Chronicles on pop culture and period dramas at Catapult. Please do it. It gives me so much life. And she is the associate poetry editor at Story South and currently lives in Madison, Wisconsin. So excited to hear this work. Again, show your love in the chat. Show your love on your social medias. Give it up one more time for Natasha. A lot of cool. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you so much, everyone. And congratulations, Maya. Thank you so much for bringing us all together in this incredible way. It is such a joy to get to celebrate you. Uh, we love you so, so much. Um, I'm just going to read three poems today. I'll start with the title poem of my current first collection in progress. Um, the poem is titled Black Credit. Lord, your good daughter I have been my whole life. I've kept your house clean as sucked bone, starved myself of everything your other children have told me is sin. I've sharpened my teeth on the slate of your word for your work's sake, bridled the glint of my tongue so men will feel strong and not be seen trembling under the soft of it. I've behaved, and for what? Do I hunger, myself growing slight on tomorrow's meat? Words, 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 your words, as valued here as 
lack credit at an all-American bank. They say, Lord, that piety is speaking to you, but madness is hearing you speak back. And under this, like all good jokes, lies the truth. No one in this equation seems to be listening anyway, to you, to our own damned selves. So tell me, how many Black girls does it take to change a mind, or a home, or a block, or a scale, or a heart, or a course, or a country? You, Lord, as you have with your other minor prophets, have dragged, or is it called us up the mountain? where in the thin air there are others who got here long before I ever dreamed of it and we're still waiting on you to finally cash this check. Um, next, I'm going to read um, a newish poem. So funnily enough, this time a year ago, uh, Elon Musk was launching a rocket into space for fun times. Um, and around the time that that was happening, um, the Gulf of Mexico was on fire, literal fire because of an oil spill. So, um, it's felt appropriate to read this poem a year after the aftermath of both of those unrelated things. After reading Lee Young Lee, I contemplate three flies trailing each other like questions and the evening ahead, a dark bud. No one knows the fragrance of loneliness like a prophet or a pastor's kid at the bottom of her glass, wine round and shimmering. As I write this, the ocean envelops a column of fire, the color of Satan's eye. Every day, I threaten to walk into the sea. And a rich man and his friends threaten to launch themselves into the clenched hole of our galaxy. Goodbye, Elon. Farewell, Jeff. The astounding probability of never returning has never occurred to you. And it has never occurred to me, searching as I do for the nearest body of water. There is no sea close enough for me to enter, even fewer deep enough. A handsome man driving the blue truck of my country approaches me on the porch where the flies are. Plastic package in hand, bubbles and happy, he asks if I am Danielle. Oh, to be a Danielle, all brains and ambition and legs, an executive at Key Bank with a high-rise loft in the city, Louis Vuittons for day shoes, two Teslas and no debt. Or another kind of Danielle, a personal trainer, all biceps and chest cut from the gods, the kind Danielle number one would fuck on the side. He asks if I am Danielle, and though nothing in me desires him, not my thighs, not my final frontier, I almost cry, yes, yes, I am she, just to see his face glow luminous, having named one of my many names. And the arrowed smiles scattered on the package, cut like the faces of clowns, tell me, it's only the imminent truth that counts, the thrill of requesting and receiving. I deny him my true name, but gift him my mouth pulled wide. My own sweat, renewable, curled, crawls without destination. Imagine, in all of this, like a child I still desire to please. 
this is my new millennium. No one today has died yet like anything here could. Um, and last, um, I'll be reading uh, an acrostic poem. It's a beautiful painting um, called Christ and the Virgin in the House of Nazareth by Francisco de Zibaran. And it hangs in the Cleveland Museum of Art. Um, and so this is a poem I wrote after many, many weeks of obsessing over that painting. This is my last poem. Virgins at the Cleveland Museum of Art. Cavernous, I wander the marble streets of Cleveland. Here in a bright room within rooms, I find my myriad selves, my many relic hearts. Some of my bodies are in green, endless fields. Some of my bodies are naked, eating immortalized fruits, while others recline in oil, backlit darkness. A year ago, I held my mother's heart like a fruit. Hungry for love that took me years to name, I bit into life, took part of hers with me. Ours has been a world of punishment, even without risk. And to love as I love, the steel of women, the tender of only the most excellent of men, is to risk the wrath of men still, the wrath of a kind of God who sits on high and knows all hearts. Christ and the Virgin in the house of Nazareth look on while the people pass by their sneakers squeaking like mice. The fertility clinic in my phone tells me I have seven years left to freeze my future, seven years to hem the risk I incur as the wife of somebody's daughter or somebody's son. Here on the wall, the two virgins, one mother, one Christ child with the face of a girl, work at their mending. It's not the queerness of Christ that holds me, nor Mary's tears, but her weariness. This child will be the death of me. Like a dutiful daughter, Jesus weaves a crown of thorns while Mary contemplates her life on her life's unceasing labor. They are loving their heavenly father the only way they know. How in the economy of need do we factor in a mother's suffering? And how in the ecology of kinship do we factor a daughter's violent blossoming? As I sit, blood gathers below my waist, a relief, a failure. In moments of ache, I hear my mother's familiar promise. When you have your own one day, you'll understand. My mother, the prophet, my motherhood, the mending, and the impasse our God lays before me to raise myself up to eat, weave. Can we take a minute? Can we can we take a minute <laughs> for all that has been salted on this good, good earth by those poems? by those poems from Natasha, by those poems from Nicole, by those poems from Tarfia, by those poems from Destiny, salting this good, good, good earth. That was so beautiful, Natasha. 
And I'm like chomping at the bit for this collection. So I can't wait eh, to read the manuscript as it comes together. Anyway, um, as we continue to celebrate this incredible work and to celebrate this incredible poet, Maya Marshall, I gave you the official bio at the beginning for a reason, because yes, Maya Marshall has been out here earning the things, doing the hard work, doing the good educator work, doing the good stewardship work, doing the good peer work, being a good literary citizen work, building the good legacy of Black poetics and Black literature work. None of that can be contested, right? But I wanted to share with you a few things that other folks that we also include a part of our lineage as Black poets have said about the book thus far, including Jericho Brown, who says all the blood involved in love is at once the most Southern, most feminist and blackest book I have ever read in quote, period, point blank from the author of the tradition. Patricia Smith, author of Incendiary Art says this work penned as backslap for the black woman intending to stomp into through and beyond existence. She is laughingly allowed, harbors the hurricane's unrepentant muscle, enter and risk, enter and live. Aracelis Germay says, I'm saying this stunningly shiftful, strange and exact book interrogates the histories with which our blood and time are written. It insists that there is power in such scrutiny. Evie Shockley says, hear me. Marshall's poetry collects and confronts some of our naughtiest questions, our hardest truths but it also illuminates the connections that buoy and strengthen us, the knowing that enables us to thrive. Robin Schiff says, this is a harrowing and illuminating book, surging with intelligence and pulsing with new music. Maya Marshall writes with life force. I am here to tell you these poems are Southern. They are river water, they are earth. They are trees that beg to be hugged and nurtured and touched. And if you've ever taken walks with Maya Marshall, you know she says hello to every tree along the path. So I'm so, so, so incredibly excited again to hear this work. I welcome you, my dear, my peer, my friend, my colleague, my teacher, my sister, Maya Marshall. You can see all my big work, my big thank yous at the end. Um, right now, I'm going to start with where I started. Um, my mom is my first poet. And uh, so she would take me with her to her readings, and she would often begin those readings with this Audrey Lord poem, What My Child Learns That Can See. And so I will begin there. My second poem, Audrey Lord. In this book about motherhood, childhood, should I do it and why wouldn't I look this book around? Why wouldn't I? Um, you know, I've remembered that my whole book is written to this first question what is what happens between a mother and a daughter? What my child learns of the sea, of the summer thunder, of riddles that hide in the vortex of spring, she will learn in my twilight. And childlike revives every autumn. What my child learns as her winters grow into time has ripened in my own body to enter her eyes with first light. 
This is why, more than blood, or the milk I have given, one day a strange girl will step to the back of the mirror, cutting my ropes of sea, thunder, sun, of the way she will taste her autumn, toast bread, or warmer than sleep, and the word she will use for winter, will stand already condemned. I'm so grateful to be surrounded with this group of friends, scholars, activists, thoughtful writers, loving human beings who teach me who are my peers and my companies. Well, as it turns out, um, I do not have any control over this household, but if there is a fan or an air conditioner that can go on, I think it will. I'll also thank my friend Martin McConnell, who's hosting me here in Chicago. And um, hopefully that wishing will stay pleasant until it goes away. A little bit, a little bit louder. Things, things I've been hearing my entire life, I will speak a little bit louder, best I can. Okay, I'm going to start with um, the first of all in my book, which is why don't you parent a little? The central question of the book. The story is that there is so much loss, so much waste in a woman who does not make a body with her body. Such sunk potential in a sex that does not produce. The story is that we have progressed. The story is that the black woman is safe. The story is that the black woman is safe if she protects her king. The king is dead. We've been talking about autonomy, about living history. And so here is a poem that addresses both. Musing on Lilith lost to time. The myth is granddaddy's mother births 12 children by 12 discreet men. I asked what she did for work and my big brother of a different father laughed at my insinuation that sex could be her job. As if being a whore is a joke, a lark. As if she, a ground dwelling songbird with her streaky brown plumage, didn't shift her bones to shape the world. Twelve. It was America, after all. It was 1930 to 1953. It was Buford, South Carolina, and a woman is her own business. What's so funny? How many times did she make the shape of the sky with her legs, the oblong sphere of the earth with her belly? How many times was she an ossuary, Lilith? with her crooked feet, maybe could only deliver her song in flight, pressed, pressed forward by her back's arc, belly swollen from fucking in that good, sweet way women do when they want to.
Because I have a Texas homie here, I'm going to read a Texas poem. Portrait in the Lone Star. Sometimes two women meet and smile for no one else. I looked into the open cleft of a lover and watched the month's first rivulet descend as she called on my tongue's continued praise. In the world outside of plush duvets and soft bedfellows, men with knives call tides of blood from daughters. I don't know what I would do if a man who looked like my daddy hated me, hated my sex all the more because I did not want him to have it, or because I have wanted a woman to, wanted to roll a body out of, unclasp the straps. What if the only time a black man loves me is when I'm dressing his wounds? Or on a given day, I prefer the sweet humidity of a lipstick's breath, the ice trail on a summer belly. Somewhere near the home I left, two women lie together openly in bayou humidity, groom in the lover's spit. Later, one's father unclasped the straps rolled their bodies out of a red Kia. Did she ever call him daddy? Was it like the first time he held her? Those bodies near the dumpster, faces facing or turned. I like to believe the lover's last acts were defiant, protected. The women battered him, a door to break through. All right, I'm going to get a little bit higher on my soapbox um, because that's where I'd like to be today. I wrote this poem called An Abortion Ban. An abortion ban is a body snatcher. is an ethnic cleansing. The uterus is a cave, is an incubator, is a vault, is a self-destructing bomb, is a thoroughfare. Semen is an innocent bystander. Penises are just boys being. A woman is a vestibule. A judge is a strict father. A, is Joseph, awed by his father's creation. Is Joseph, relieved of fault. Is Joseph, saving face. A woman is a support beam. A girl is a receptacle. A fetus without lungs is an unlucky horseshoe. A fetus in a homeless woman is an empty pillowcase. An embryo is a fingernail. A fetus is a jail. A woman who miscarries is a quarterback executed point blank. A woman with a felony is insulation. An angry man with a staircase is a felony maker. A live birth with a dead mother is a school lunch. A stillbirth is a $20,000 bill. A pregnant black woman is a dead black woman. A black woman who miscarries is a dead crow. A state legislature is a vulture. The choice is a liability. A Planned Parenthood is a desert. A Planned Parenthood is an OF basis. A woman is a treasure chest. A woman is a former voter. A uterus is a leash. A stillbirth is a tether. A 13-year-old is a child. Only that. A woman is a bloom, a seed is an explosive, fertilizer is a shackle. A woman is a target, a uterus is a target, a felon is a target, 
I'm going to read this poem because my mom likes it. The Field of Blood. In the hospital, the man I love lowers his eyes. Catheter, cotton. I joined his mother for a walk. If I were your mother, I'd tell you not to marry him. My own mother says I can't stay with a sick man. You want to fix everything. But why should we leave good things broken? On some night, my love says I wouldn't want to be black. I, I try to understand how he could call blackness the burden, not the whiteness heaped on top of it. Blackness is not a failure of the body. I bleed daily for a month, produce a liver-shaped thing. He rinses his blood with a chemical cocktail every third Thursday. We make nothing. No child, no cats, but distance until we both lose. On some day in our home, my love says our child would not be black. But we're American, I think, can say she would. He thinks we understand each other because of his illness and my blackness, but my blackness does not make me sick. Love has betrayed my heart. I'm sure Judas loved Jesus, but fear is a tyrant. In this story, you're Judas, and I'm Judas too. A cynic would say he just loved money more, but what would they say to the field of blood? I loved my man and our cats, but the girl in my chest will always chase the storm in the field, abandon the ghost in the house, leave the blood and water running in the bathtub and hair on the floor, walk into the warm spring night in a blackout, follow the moon down the sidewalk, eyes glinting like the backyard cougars of my youth, and leave you with your bare heart and your mended bones waiting for me to come back. A version of me will leave and let the feline starve because the beast in me does not want to be needed. A cat's cry mimics an infant's cry. I like to think I could deny even this. Um, I'm going to invite the, the little girl into this space for grown women. I mean, also everyone else. Girl born with cleft palate turns 10, divines for water in her backyard. Why the shape of a discarded branch? Why over the dog dung spread in the yard's overgrowth? Why of two arms reaching out to slake their sweat in the sun? She cannot hear the voice of God, though her mother prays for her each morning. Since 16 dental surgeries and she has recovered perfect hearing, recalls the space after death. Why links the passage to the middle ear? She cannot hear the voice of God, though she knew it in her swaddling clothes. Whipped thin are now functional mechanisms, tongue, teeth, nose, uvula, the inner ear, gnash of prayer. Lead me to walk. Lead me to God while she wanders her backyard with a divining rod. You know, I don't have any children. And that, 
It's both luck and intention. And now I have a person I love with whom I suppose I could make a person. Maybe. Might take some money and you know, medical intervention, but possible. But there's also the possibility that we might adopt a child, though I'm about a year and a half from being too old to do that. So we'll see. Yeah, there's limits. Did you know that? Anyway, there's lots to learn. Also, we'll learn one other thing about adopting black children. They're less expensive. Because there's a greater supply. Lavender minutes is a term that I took back from this group of women who were working together in the 70s. Uh, so the women's movement, they decided they didn't want to have their focus split to focus on, you know, gays and queers and lesbians. And so they were like, leave the lavender menace, leave us alone. We're trying to focus on saving women or something. Anyway, so I'm using that term because uh, we deserve to have it and let it be a powerful thing. But feminist, feminist, queer. Lavender menace adopts a black boy. In summer, black boy burns. Say, black boy takes shelter. See his locked hair, fairy. See him. See him wash his hands and brush his teeth. See his smile shatter light. Imagine summer camp. Black boy afloat in Lake Michigan. Black boy pinata. Black boy's dance. Death drop. A black boy is confetti. Black boy could be a first cousin once removed. Black boy would be 10 now, or 12. Black boy looks like a father he's never seen. Black boy is a grandma's boy. He is amalgam. Black boy is dragonfly, brilliant, iridescent, conspicuous in flight. 24,000 omatidia. Black boy is anther and filament. Black boy is a tiger. Tiger, adopted black boy is a steal, only 17K. Black boy is waiting, is chicken chest. Black boy is grandfather clock tall. Black boy is never a clock tower. Black boy is egret wings, is flying, is his father's arms. Black boy is lisp and puppy scented. Black boy is a whipping boy. Black boy is billy goat scruff. Black boy's first home is rag doll. Was the closet corner. Was tender purple. Black boy is a plum pit, a walnut home. Black boy is Gurupira. Black boy is a dark city, is an open window, is a roving squad car, is crashing glass and song. A single black boy is the softest avocado in the mouth. Right. I think, I think two more. Lavender Menace considers the lovers in the photograph. Here's a little love poem from the book. I may have been lying. I might have three more, and one will be a love poem that is not in this book. Because my friend was like, what if you wrote love poems even though you don't want to? And she was right. The men nestle, one inched into the cleft of his love's thighs. They wait under the eye of the sun in the bullseye the camera's lens. As a white witness documents black love on a late spring day in Chesapeake, Virginia. 
One, eyes closed, lips resting against his fellow's cheekbone. The other, eyes open, stares forward, soft brow, as if he's just opened his eyes. Two moles make a base cleft of the curve of his left eye. Open exposure in this one frame. Loose clothes betray a slim collarbone, a meaty bicep, two modest black bellies, sun-coppered and hairy, the slightest catch in a fold, a clasp on an elbow. The lovers, caught, lean into each other, away from the leaves in front of the building, hold their spot on the black top of the complex's parking lot, locked as if in bronze. I have never seen a monument like this. Do-rag and chin-strap mustache, brawn-armed bear with a fresh, tight fade. I've lived at the corner of Confederate and Lincoln, spat on the stone feet of a gynecological barbarian, seen equestrians erected high above men's heads, but never yet two sleep-wide noses or one man's neck tilted in supplication. Mouth slit open to let the air dart in. Hands wound lightly around the waist and lower back. Knuckle the lit on a broad, suffered, gawkered thigh. Two men spun like blossoming vines, shining in the splendor, with two like soldiers in love. And light, not shadow. But here the woman's eye has arrested our fellows in dewy day, without labored sweat or defying glances, not off guard or posed, but seeming free and seeming safe in the bailing of each other's embrace. Let's see. Love poem. Love poem with homemade cookies. This is not a murder. I'm nervous about writing, about my kitchen and how you kiss it about how I like to lick the outside curve of the spoon. Spoon, I'm grateful for you and your strong, soft hands. I like that they sweat for no reason. I'm nervous, but why? Love is serious. It's all we're ever writing about anyway. Half of war is the defense of love and the other half is blood money. Race is some people saying we love ourselves enough to fight to live in any way I love you and how your body relaxes, creaks and cracks as it settles down onto the couch where I scritch your head and you scritch the fat cat's head. And I feed you cookies it took only hours to complete. I felt the ache in my left ankle and shifted to stir cardamom and salt with sugar for you. I want to make you things. I mention paint and you build a studio. I mention books and you build desks and shelves. What can I give you but a girl on your couch wearing a too big sweater? Dreams you can touch. A sweet treat that says, I think of you. I retrieve all the bits I need to make for you something more. Crumbs I put in your mouth with my lips. Unless we think she's not joyful, hopeful, I will find, I'll stop with the, the final poem in the book, a duplex after our friend and love Jericho Brown. The Big Water. I want to say yes to the sea and live. 
with the knowledge that I am small. I live with my knowledge, just small despite my good learning. The truth is hard. With all my costly living, truth is still hard. Sober, I find my mind in disarray. To save my life, I undress this disarray. Fear babbles beneath. Terror cannot protect. Terror cannot protect like anger does. And a vulnerable life leaves room for love. A vulnerable life leaves room for you to love yourself enough to lose someone. To love yourself enough to lose someone is to become the open sea, not the estuary. Thank you, my friends. Thank you, Haymarket Books. Thank you, Erica and Jim and John and Julie and Rachel. Thank you for all of your encouragement and love to my parents, to these writing communities, to cover them, to all of you. Thank you, thank you, thank Y'all give it up for that incredible reading, for this incredible book that we're celebrating, All the Blood Involved in Love by Maya Marshall. The blackest book you'll ever read, the most Southern book you'll ever read, the most feminist book you'll ever read. I'm here for it all. Thank you so, so much to everyone who joined us, who shared the event. Thank you to everybody who dropped love in the chat as it was absolutely warranted for all of these incredible poets. Please give it up one more time for all of these incredible poets. Natasha Oladokun, Nicole Homer, Destiny Obert, Song and Tarfia Faizula. Thank you so much for joining us again in this Haymarket community. We will be celebrating in person tomorrow evening at our beautiful home at Haymarket House. If you are planning on being in attendance, yes, we will have air conditioning too. Yes, you need to RSVP. Yes, we are still acting like it is a full pandemic. So make sure that you bring all the things, be prepared to mask, to take care of one another um, and to love on one another and to celebrate this book again um, in a 3D space. So once again, thank you so much and y'all have a beautiful and blessed evening. Appreciate y'all. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, Subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.